Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Good Good Judgment Judgment Podcast. Podcast. Folks, this is a podcast that's purpose is for Georgia judges or anybody else who might be interested in what goes on in the courtroom. Please understand that we are Georgia-focused, meaning that we are going to focus our attention on issues that arise under Georgia law, but occasionally we will get into some subjects of common interest. And we really appreciate you folks listening. And as we go to the studio audience, we ask, please hold your applause till the end. All right, now to the studio. Hey, folks, welcome back to the Good Judgment Podcast. I'm Wade Padgett. And I'm Tane Kell. We really appreciate you listening to us here at the Good Judgment Podcast. So Tane has decided that he is going to turn the tables on me a bit today with the episode that we're recording. And this makes me highly nervous. Correct. And it should. We've published all sorts of episodes where Wade and I interview guests on topics important to judges and others who listen to our podcast. But today, I am going to interview Wade concerning an important topic. I'm not sure if agreeing to this was a wonderful idea on my part, but as you all know, there there was a window of a few weeks in which we were allowed to resume jury trials. I conducted a jury trial during that available period, and I learned a bunch of hard lessons that listeners may find to be valuable. We expect that we will once again be allowed to resume jury trials while the judicial emergency remains pending. And so we hope that today's episode will allow us to share with all of you some of the lessons that Wade learned in an actual trial uh, during the judicial emergency. And you know, Tane, uh, the judicial emergency order has just indicated that if things continue to go on the current trend, that the chief justice plans on allowing folks to resume jury trials March 9th implicating that people could go ahead and start summoning jurors in the month of February. So um, some of the things we're going to talk about today, Tane, they were theory ideas back when we were recording these in March, April, May, June, July, because we just really didn't know what the future held. And we published those episodes back in the early days of the pandemic. But I think, and I think you and I both agreed, it might be helpful or valuable for folks to hear how it actually went versus merely looking at theories of how a jury trial might occur during our current situation. That's right. So with that as our introduction, ladies and gentlemen, please sit back and enjoy my interview with Wade Padgett. So Wade, let's get started by uh, by talking about this. As you said, there was a window of opportunity and you seized on it. And uh, the first thing I have to ask you about that is, why did you decide to start with a three defendant murder trial? You know, I'm a glutton for punishment, but to be honest with you, it was something that had a lot of age on it and the parties had prepared it once before. So they had to you know, reconnect with witnesses, but by and large, a lot of the underlying groundwork had been done. It was people looked at us like we had, lo- you know, me, <laughs> like I had lost my mind. Like, why couldn't you just do one defendant and see how this is going to work? But I'm not saying I've already picked out my case that I might try when the jury trials resume. But if I had theoretically done that, it's not a three defendant murder case. I'm just going to tell you. <laughs> it was it was I mean, to be fair, I had good lawyers. I had lawyers who were committed to getting it tried because they thought it was important for their clients. And to be fair, also, we had one full acquittal, one defendant who was convicted only of possession of firearm counts no murder, ag assault sort of counts, Mm -hmm. and one that was convicted of virtually all counts. 
So, it, wow. I mean, it, it mattered. And some of these young men had been in jail for a number of years awaiting disposition because it was coming up for trial literally when the, cut, when the shutdown happened. Well, let's start with this, Wade. When, when did you try the case? When, when was it actually tried? It was a week after November. I think it was November 30th, 2020. Right after Thanksgiving? Yep. And uh, how, how did you get, like, like, the people who were involved in this, from the DA to the sheriff to the lawyers and all of that, how, how did you start out with them uh, to get this case ready for trial? Well, in all honesty, we started with us figuring out what we needed to do to meet the constitutional legal mandates. And then we started figuring out how to implement that and to uh, sort of re-examine how we had done it for generations. And so we had to have the cooperation of the sheriff. We had to have the cooperation of our local marshal who in Richmond County handles courtroom, uh, courthouse, excuse me, security. We had to have IT. We had to have a lot of players. And we had to have some buy-in, frankly, from the DA and PD. Because sure. at least some of these defendants were public defenders. Some were um, appointed conflict counsel. So we, our court administrator, and shout out to our court administrator, Mr. Nolan Martin. He's he's right. really a good guy and a very smart man. He spent a zillion hours, literally, um, arranging for us to use the Civic Center as the place that we were going to conduct jury selection and how that would interact with the courthouse. Wow. And, and then I'm sure that one of the things you relied on heavily was also past episodes of the good judgment podcast, but, but that putting that aside, um, where did you get started? I mean, I, you know, it's, it's just kind of baffling to me to even think about this. I mean, even though you and I have talked about it a million times and where, where did you get started? You said you, you, you knew you had to use a civic center. Tell me, tell me about that. So to start with you, we knew that our, we did not have a courtroom that would allow us to accommodate probably 50 people socially distanced. And we wanted to generally shoot for even more in the mid sixties. And so for us to be able to do that, we had to have the authority to use someplace other than a courthouse as a courthouse. So under OCGA 38-3-60 and the sections that follow, it allows you during a judicial pandemic to use another facility that is in the county site, which you and I now pronounce as county seat. Um the chief judge, our chief judge, Judge Brown, entered that order in, no, in, I guess, early November of 2020. And so just as a practical matter, we had to rent the Civic Center. Now, our county, Richmond County commissioners were very kind to give us sort of the financial resources to do that. And I understand that not all of our colleagues can may, may have that. But it was important that we have the space to be able to pick that number of people. And, you know, Tane, we did another couple of things that were that were kind of huge to this whole thing being successful. Yeah, uh, and I want to I want to hear about a couple of those things, but I was going to throw in a comment the other that the other day uh, a lawyer was telling me about having conducted some proceedings in one of our neighboring counties, and that they had actually uh, been conducting a, a fairly large, it was something like a calendar call, but it was really a, a bit more organized than a regular calendar call in a parking deck. 
Um, it was during one of the months when it was a little bit warmer and it was open air and they could space people out and they had enough room there, but it was actually a part of the courthouse. It was the, the courthouse parking deck. And so I guess, you know, people are trying to be innovative and trying to do what they can to keep folks safe. And at first I thought, oh, that's terrible. And then I thought, no, actually that's kind of creative. So uh, anyway, let's go back. And, and, and so tell, tell everybody. So once you had, once you had decided on that, that was a potential location, how did you make it ready? How did you, how did you do the things that you needed to do to think about having, starting a trial there? There were two things that we did that I thought were key. And I would share this with anybody else who's thinking about this, whether you're doing it at a high school gym, you're doing it at a big courthouse because you have one. The first was we actually contracted with a company that was capable of fumigating and wiping down with, with bacterial agents all the surfaces that were exposed. I was wondering how you did that. Yeah. So, so they actually had two ladies who, whenever something would be vacated, they would come behind it and fumigate it with a fog, but it wasn't anything that would blow you out of the room, but that area would not be very tenable. So they would, for example, wait until all of the jurors in the civic center would leave the arena area of the basketball court, and then they would fumigate every chair. And then they would come back in our room once they had gone back to the basketball court and fumigate there. We would just vacate the room for about five minutes and it dissipated. Whenever they used wow. a podium or a microphone, they wiped it down. And, and we were able to use some CARES Act money to, to, to accomplish that. The other thing that, we, that was key, and this is going to probably be controversial because I know that we are blessed and not everybody is as blessed as we are, but we conducted jury selection in the civic center as, as we've said you know one of the very first things given what we have on our ears right now and what we're using would be the audio quality in a civic center yeah it was either you would be screaming at people and you couldn't hear the 60th juror back when they're five feet apart so i guess that person's close to 150 200 feet back from you you can't hear them they can't hear you and you don't know if you're getting valid answers or what the so basically the arena is enormous it's a basketball court it has tiered seating all around it just like any other civic center but sure. where we were having our courtroom was an exhibit hall it still was huge really tall ceilings really deep and so we were able through through using these this system to be able to hear each other and what we did you know, forget the hygiene problems, forget the social distancing problems that come with sharing a microphone. Hey, what's your don't, name? Which, don't forget those. Wade is just <laughs> speaking metaphorically. Do not forget those issues. Correct. But go ahead, Wade. We invested in a, a headset system that is produced by a company called DigiPro. Now, Tane, have you ever been, sorry, I don't mean to turn the tables on your big interview here, but have you ever been to like a museum and had like a guided tour? Um. I don't, I don't think I've ever been to a museum way. No, I'm just kidding. Of course. Or like a historical site where you're sure. going through and there you've got somebody in your headphones. Sure. But, but you have somebody leading your group and there's another group right over there and they're not bleeding mm -hmm. over. You're just mm -hmm. hearing your man or woman that's leading your group and not the other one, the other leader. Well, we got one of those systems. And so the jurors could only hear what was going on in this room beautifully or however you want to look at it. We have a second courtroom, which is also called an exhibit hall, next door that we could be going two at a time. But we couldn't have microphones just blowing each other out like a rock concert sure. because they wouldn't be able to hear. We couldn't hear. 
so because they're you know a lot of the the partitions are curtains and things like that. So what we were able to do is purchase this DigiPro system. Now, I'm going to tell you because I know that some of our chief judges are probably going, "I wonder what that would cost." Because that was that'd be pretty cool. For one set, it was about twenty thousand dollars, and that's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, however, remember you can use it going forward with interpreters. With, with with other things where you need to have concurrent communication. And it really allowed everyone to speak in a normal tone, tone of voice. We had outstanding recordings in a massive room, which is not very common. Eliminated all those noise and issues that, that normally would be associated with being in a gym or in a, a, a civic center. So. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, well. So now that I'm thinking about it that way, uh, you know, we're talking about a civic center. How did you handle security? Well, how you know, how'd you get people in and out of the building? So we had the jurors report at a at a date certain and door certain. They had arrows, you know, pointing, hey, jurors this way. We mm-hmm. allowed trial court. I'm imagining you out there the night before with blue painter's tape, making little arrows on the concrete. Little but smiley anyway. faces and stuff. Yeah, little smiley face, make everybody happy. Um, they came in early. They were sort of pointed, let's call the front of the building. All of the trial participants were pointed to the back of the building because we really didn't want, we didn't know who was going to show up. And if two lawyers are having a conversation with one another as they're walking in and they have no idea they're standing next to a drawer, we were trying to protect from that. So we had the the temperature checks and all of that at each door, metal checks on the front door. And then once the jurors came in, they would be directed to one of the tables alphabetically organized so that the clerks, and you know, we used every hand on deck for this. So we had jury clerks, but we also had people who worked for case management and people who worked in the law library and all kind of stuff. Everybody was helping, but they would check them in on the big computer screen and the juror would get his or her printed shirt number, you know, number for their, um, I guess, tag for lack of a better word. Right. Then the security part from the defendant side, because all three of my defendants were in custody. And this is where the sheriff thought outside the box a little bit. And I was fairly impressed. You know, the DUI, I don't know the right word, paddy wagon. Sure. Yeah. The secure jail van thing. Yeah. They parked three of them in the corner of the of the area in a place where they could make sure there wasn't a free door for somebody to run out or whatever. Mm-hmm. And they sort of backed them into a corner because this is a big space. You could drive a truck through it. And that's what they used as a secure area. They had the proper ventilation running through the vans. They had them running if they needed to, they could vent them out of the room if they needed to it, but somebody had to want to do that. You know what I mean? Somebody had to think that through, but they were satisfied that they could secure the three defendants. Even if the three defendants went sideways with one another, they could secure them. Now, what they couldn't do is have the next case defendant there or the three cases of defendants there. So what they would do is right down the street is a courthouse that has holding cells. They would bring whoever they needed who might try over to the holding cells and they would only bring over those people that we were going to try first. And then they would take them back. And I've, I've told you, as a civic center, we use curtains to to sort of separate being able to see 
back to where the jail vans were or back into the arena or back into the courtroom. They were able to pull open and, and, and shut these curtains. They, I mean, they were these massive, heavy things. And nobody could see what we were doing. We're using headsets, so you already can't hear me, you know, mm-hmm. beyond a, a couple of feet away from me. Everybody in the room could hear me, but but you couldn't hear me. We are, and, and we'll talk about this in a minute, we'll, we were projecting on WebEx so that people, the public could hear it. And and we we were fairly secure. Now, in a perfect world, would would all would all sheriff's office think this is the ideal security arrangement? No, <laughs> no. But my sheriffs were able to find a spot where they could be comfortable. They had a lot more bailiffs than normal, covering a lot more doors than normal because this is an exhibit hall, not a courtroom. Sure. But they did a really, really, really good job. Well, let me ask this too. You must have done a lot of preparation uh, at the outset with your local health officials as well to make sure you could do temperature checks and those sorts of things. How how how'd you do that? Basically, our Mr. Martin Nolan Martin, who's our local court administrator, shout out again, and Judge Brown, shout out to him. They both sort of coordinated that to make sure that we were in keeping with the local CDC guidelines. I can't tell you that I had an in-depth conversation. I, I, I enacted what I was told we needed to do. Sure. And one of the things I thought was that you told me that was interesting was that while the jurors are getting checked in, you had their informational juror video playing on a big screen right there, which is another great uh, thing to do just to tell them how they're going to stay safe during the, the proceedings and that sort of thing. So they're socially distanced six feet apart on the basketball floor. We have two rows in front of the very first jurors who have a seat that are empty. And what we're do is once we decide that we have everybody checked in that's going to be checked in, we bring the first 60 to sit in the first two rows that were socially distanced apart. So 30, 30, you know, I guess whatever, 15, 15, 15, 15. And so then when we were ready, they had everybody situated. IT had brought over extra printers and computers that they that the jury clerk could use to print the, the requisite number of uh, juror um information sheets and the juror sheets. And then they were able to hand those to us so that when we were ready to bring them over, which was probably close to 945, 10 o'clock, they were ready to walk in the room and and go to work. We had already done the pretrial stuff starting a little before nine. Wow. That's great. So, so going back even further than that, pre-trial. What kind of notifications did you send out to the jurors uh, to let them know what was going to happen? And also, what did you talk to the lawyers about pre-trial to let them know how you were going to do this? Well, to be honest with you, we didn't know what we were going to get. I think that most of us have have sort of assumed that when you uh, summon jurors during COVID, you're going to get a fractional turnout from what you normally do. And we got actually a greater than 50% turnout, which frankly is a kind of where we are non-COVID. I mean, we usually summon 100 to get 50. And, and that's that's here we summoned 120. We had 65. And I will say that um, other jurisdictions that I've talked to in Texas, um, I believe South Carolina did some as well, and Florida, um, they kind of reported the same thing, that they were pleasantly surprised that they got um, numbers that weren't hugely different uh, from the numbers that they got pre-COVID, um, which is just a testament to, A, you know, 
people understanding the importance of jury trials during this time and B, just how bored people are and that they just want to go somewhere. Oh, I got to get, I got to go, honey. I got to go to jury duty. I got to, got to get out of the house. <laughs> well, I will tell you prior to trial, we had a calendar call in which I identified two cases. I was willing to say I'm fairly solid. These two cases are going. The lawyers had checked with their experts and others and other witnesses, and it seemed like everybody was going to be available. And so I said, okay, we are for the lawyers in these two trials, I sent them an email with a copy of a notice explanation sheet, I guess, for lack of a better word. And I have included that in our outline for this presentation that'll be on goodjudgepod.com. Sorry, goodjudgepod.com. I know, right? And so... In that notice, I said, guys, we have got to do things a little differently. And now, Tane, to be fair, they were very different. But I sent that to them and got their input before I moved forward. Well, that's good. Did you have any kind of pretrial conference with the lawyers to talk about uh, suggestions that they might have or other things that, that you might need to do? Basically, this was in, you know, we were coming out of October, you know, going into November coming out of Thanksgiving where everybody said we're going to have a super spreader event after super spreader event. So I did much more virtual conferences on scheduling and, and procedure than I did worrying about bringing the defendants in and whatnot. I did have one, but then we followed up with a couple of pure scheduling issues. And during that, I said, okay, tell me, you know, have y'all read this? Have you got it? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We have it. And so we talked through it and there were some things, frankly, and we're going to probably talk about it in a minute. You're the interviewer. I don't want to get in your way, but <laughs> take over my interview, Wade. But we talked about it at length and, and I heard what they had to say. Some things I wasn't really willing to move on. Some things I was very willing to move on, had not even considered that would be an issue. But ultimately, the document that is attached to this outline is pretty much the document we rode with during trial. That's awesome. Well, tell me a little bit about once you got everybody assembled and you got the jurors in place, you got the lawyers there. How did y'all do voir dire? How, how was that actually physically conducted? Everybody's got their headset on. It's working. Everybody who's not muted and doesn't need to be muted is not, it's not muted and yeah. uh, all of that. All right. So as you might know, when you go on your guided tour of the museum, you've never been on that. If you want to say something, you got to hit a button, right? Otherwise, you interfere with the speaker. Well, same thing here. They had We had a, a sort of two channels, so to speak. One channel, everybody could just listen. So in their chair when they came in, jurors, they had a juror number that was laminated and a face shield just sitting in their chair. And so I explained to them because they could all hear very well. We made sure everybody could hear, got everybody. We had some technical people there from the company who made sure everybody's stuff was running correctly. And then I said, okay, I'm going to ask you some questions. And if you have a response, raise your number. I think y'all do that normally, don't you? We do. I use juror numbers in every trial. Yeah. So even pre-COVID. Mm -hmm. Yes. And so I had, they would raise their number. Before trial, I told the lawyers, you need to submit to me your voir dire questions. I'm going to rule on them, sort of shuffle the deck and put the right, the similar kind of questions in the similar kind of order. And I'm not going, 
we're not going to spend a bunch of time trying to make objections and not objections and all of that when we're trying to do what are with all these people here. So I ruled on on some of their questions. Some of them they had exceptions to. We took them up prior to trial. I, I, I incorporated a couple of them back in my mix because I agreed with the objection on second thought. And so I asked everybody's questions. So and then I would go through and say, OK, we have a response from juror number seven, juror number 23. So that that was being part of the record. Then we had two podiums running that were kind of very, not close, close, but relatively cl up in the front of the room, closer to us. So juror number one for individual Vordire would go to podium number one. Juror number two would go ahead and move into place and get to podium number two. Now, Tane, some of the folks that we had are very astute with technology who were jurors, some mm -hmm. not so much. <laughs> and add to a headset with right. a little pack. I don't know what you call it, battery pack, whatever you call it, the connection yeah, pack. power pack. They had to put on a face shield that had like a sweatband as the attachment across their head. So Wait, now they're was going, it like that time I tried to pull my headphones off while I still had my glasses on and you fell out on the floor laughing at me because I got all hung up in my headphones and my glasses? I don't think we have a gag reel for the Good Judgment podcast, but it would probably be a lot like that. That would definitely be on it. Yeah, the but, bloopers reel. But to be fair, I've got somebody with something going across their head and around their head, and some of these folks were just struggling. Yeah. So juror number one comes to podium one. Hey, state, any questions for juror number one? Yes, no, whatever. What about defendant one, defendant two, defendant three? Okay, juror one, you can go with the deputies back to the arena. We're ready with juror two. Juror two standing right there. At the second has already, podium. Has already had the fist fight with the, with the headband. We're good. <laughs> right, right. The cleaning people would clean podium one while they're bringing up juror three. That's great. And we were able to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, and get through the whole panel of 60 very quickly. I did learn one hard lesson, though, Tane. What's that? If you'll ask the lawyers whether they want to ask any questions of juror one, they may not need to in individual voir dire. And so when you watch this person, I mean, it looks like they are fighting a python. The, the way that, I mean, it's just like somehow they've just gotten all twisted up in headphones and, and, <laughs> and face masks. Wait, I've been there. I understand. <laughs> Maybe we don't even need to do that. So I would just go through and I would suggest to all of y'all, having learned this about halfway through this process, because it takes so much time to let everybody get situated, I would strongly suggest that you ask the lawyers to give you some sort of list or, or to, to go down the list and say, do we need to ask questions of one, two, three? And then let the bailiffs go ahead and take the people that they don't need to ask any questions of to the arena. And that way we only have whatever we need and it gives you a better sense of how many more do we have, do we need to take a bathroom break, whatever we need to do. Sure. So we went through General Vordar. And all that went fine. And then we took a break because now all the jurors are back in the arena. We even had a concession stand, man. They even had the concession stand open. They had like Cokes and okay. coffee and stuff. That's, that's brilliant. That was pretty that's good. That's brilliant. But they charged their rate, so I couldn't help my jurors with that at all. Oh, but yeah. anyway, we, we leave the room so they can fumigate the room. 
So now the the room is being completely bombed. The arena was bombed while the jurors are in the room. Now the jurors are back in the arena. The room is being bombed because all the lawyers and defendants got out. Everybody went to the restroom, did the 15-minute break according to uniform rules. You know it's probably really more like 30. Right. Then we came back in. Now, this is the thing that caused people to become apoplectic. Isn't that the word? Yes. We didn't bring the jury back to select the jury. <gasps> Wade. I know. And they just thought that's, this was just going to be impossible. That's the way we've always done things. I know. <laughs> I know. But if you think about it, the fewer times I can have a quote-unquote mass spreader event, if the, the, the fewer times I can bring 60 people back, forth, back, forth, the better off I'm going to be. And so the lawyers, we went through one by one. We selected the jury. Um, I don't think they had like the, the price is right or anything on the, the big screen out there. So I <laughs> no, think the no jurors, HGTV, like no, in my doctor's office, I think the, the jurors just sat there, but that's cool. They just sat there. Yeah. But then when we were done and we asked for bats and challenges and I didn't, or bats and McCollum, and I didn't have one here, the bailiff said, Hey folks, we need juror number one, 14, 32, 33, seven, you know, whatever. And only brought back the, I think we had three alternates, the 15 that we had. They came and sat in the room. I said, lawyers, are these a juror? Is this the jury I selected? And they looked around and they said, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. We were going to be in, and I could then, then explain to the jurors what's going on. We are adjourned until tomorrow when we will join each other at the Richmond County Courthouse right down the street. And we will try the case in the courthouse. I could then release the panel of jury, you know, jurors from the yeah. arena and we're done. I was done. Juries was selected at about two 30 to be fair. Wow. We worked straight through lunch. I mean, we were yeah. hungry, but we, we had a jury selected in a three defendant murder trial by two 30. Wow. That's really amazing. Um, one of the things that I that you told me too that I thought was uh, an interesting decision and I thought a good decision on your part is that you told the lawyers and the defendants you won't be standing up when the jurors come in the room and leave the room. I I mean that's a great idea just to avoid all of that movement and and people getting up and down and, and all if that. you had anybody in any kind of restraints. See what we did was we skirted all of these little folding tables they were using as tables. Mm -hmm. They looked a little better than just folding tables, one. Yeah. But number two, if any of the defendants had to be restrained, which these didn't, but for all trial purposes, if you had a restrained defendant with leg, with leg shackles or whatever, then you didn't have to, to show that to everybody. You know, yeah. it, and you would and make sure that you skirt both tables so you don't try to implicitly sure. tell the jury some kind of message that the defendants need to be skirted, but the state doesn't. But that was we went ahead and did that as a policy matter on the front end. And as we were indicating, we were broadcasting the whole thing via WebEx back to the courtroom. Now, we had some audio problems at first. There is a thing. This is my technical my technical explanation. There was a thing, a thing called a bridge that basically when we got the bridge and put it in the of course, don't you probably go music between bridge and verse and stuff. But we, we stuck it in the machine. The audio that was produced to WebEx was exactly the audio I was hearing. It was crystal clear. At first, wow. it was not. We didn't have it. We didn't know that was going to be a problem. We thought we could just stick a microphone in the thing and it would project. It needed a bridge, whatever a bridge does. 
<laughs> my That's a good thing to know. So a thing called a bridge. Yeah. Well, well, let's let's move to that uh, and let's talk about. It. So, so you you did your public access via WebEx. How did you have that set up in the courthouse, and, and then how was it broadcast out beyond the courthouse? So we had a couple of different cameras joining the meeting, so to speak. So on your little Brady Bunch square, there was probably three of us. One pointed at me and the lawyers, one pointed out at the jurors, and one from a different angle that got a better shot of the podiums. And so we live stream, we didn't live stream it. We we simply had the computer in the courtroom join the meeting so that what the lawyers were hearing and what they were seeing was three views of the room and they could hear everything. Told you we had some audio problems at first, but we got those straightened out. Um so so you could live stream it, but think about this. If there was suddenly a plea, I didn't have the ability from the courtroom to talk back to me. I only, if I was live streaming, I could just broadcast. And so we used, we decided to use the WebEx feature instead of, and it could be Zoom or any of the other ones, except in, instead of live streaming, because if I had a plea, I wanted to make sure victims, families, or whomever needed to be heard from WebEx could be heard, and we didn't have to wait for them to drive over, park, come through security. That whole game through the jurors, we were able to do that remotely as well. So we had that as an option, but we did all that in the courtroom, okay? Then once we got back to the courtroom the next day and tried the case— we did exactly the same thing, but we also included a document camera, just like any other document camera, that if there was an exhibit admitted, we just took the two seconds to say, hey, witness, is this, you know, show you this is exhibit two. Is this a photograph of the scene? Yes, it is. Any objection? No objection. It's admitted. It can be published to the jury. But first, I want you to put it on the document camera. See, my goal was to say, okay, if you were sitting in the courtroom, what could you see? You couldn't hear bench yeah. conferences. You couldn't see every little thing you showed a jury, uh, excuse me, a witness, but you could see any exhibits that were broadcast to the jury. So I right. made sure they were broadcast to the public. And it was it awkward? Yeah. It was a little hard? Yeah. Did it take a little longer? Yeah. But it went very, very well because I had bailiffs and others that knew how to use a document camera and would turn it on and off to show the photograph or to show the whatever. The juror, the the public, members of the public, because this is a three-defendant murder trial. We had people who wanted to see. Mm -hmm. They were there in, in a courtroom right down the hall. And that's what I was going to ask next. So mm -hmm. you were live streaming it into another one of your courtroom facilities so those people could watch. Is yep. that right? Exactly right. And how did you make sure that, for example, no witnesses wandered into that courtroom and 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 watched the proceedings? The best we could. We we used bailiffs, and and when somebody would that they had not seen so far today came towards that room, they made it real clear: you're welcome here. You, you're absolutely welcome here. You're not a witness, are you? Nobody's told you you might testify, have they? Okay, let me open the door for you. They very kindly, instead of saying, "What do you want?" Right. Why are you here? Yeah. Yeah. Do you, you know, anyway, instead of doing it that way, they did it the other way. And I think it went, I think it went as, as good as could possibly go. Well, tell me, tell me about the results of your uh, voir dire. So with voir dire, we had um, the, the, through the jury selection process, we had our 12 jurors and three alternates. Mm -hmm. We did not have a bat to number column challenge, which was a blessing. 
Yeah. The jurors, I'm telling you, were one of everything, probably the most diverse jury I've ever had. We had a, a, a medical doctor on that jury. We had we had people who were unemployed on that jury and everything in between. And we had they were highly motivated. Now I will tell you, Tane. I'm telling you, they wanted to be out of the house, Wade. They were glad just, to have something to do. Just between me and you and our and our listener. Yeah. <laughs> I did wave the flag a bit and tell them that they were they were not heroes, but they were kind of heroes because the justice system just can't run without you. We know it's a huge sacrifice, American way, Constitution, and we really need you. And we know this is a huge sacrifice, even more so than usual. But this is how justice get, gets done. And if you or somebody that you know or love was either a witness or a defendant, you would want somebody like you on the jury. But we can't do that if you're not willing to make that sacrifice. Next thing you know, we only had one or two people who had what I'm using with my air quotes again, sketchy reasons for being excused. Pretty yeah. much everybody was trying, and it was it, it was a noticeable difference. I think a lot of people expected there would just be this mass exodus from people who were afraid of COVID. I'm not saying these people weren't afraid of COVID, but but they were willing, and that was really really helpful. That's great to hear. That that really is. But I'm not I'm not that surprised. Um, I hoped it would be that way, and I'm glad to hear that it really was. So, Wade, let's move to the trial itself. Okay. Um, let's talk a little bit first about the mechanics. How, how'd you How'd you arrange your courtroom? Basically, flipped it on, on its ear. The gallery was the jury box. Sure. The witness was in the jury box. The witness okay. was too far away from the gallery to be a good. Um, witness box. So I really didn't feel like I could do it that way. Mm -hmm. The lawyers turned their backs to me. So we were all facing toward the jury. The jury was all facing us. We had the jury all the way across. I'm, I'm assuming if you had a really big courtroom for some reason, you might be able to put the public behind the jury. Just be aware. You're going to want to lead a row or two of empty just so nobody says anything under their breath that bothers a juror or whatever. But in this room, we couldn't. So we basically took over the rear of the courtroom. They're facing us. We're facing them. Witnesses over on the, the first chair closest to the rail um, in the jury box. And the lawyers sort of operated from a podium that was behind, between me and counsel table. And so mm -hmm. it, it really seemed to work pretty well. That's great. And, and so... Uh, and I'm assuming you had a bailiff out there monitoring to make sure nobody walked into the jury box uh, <laughs> gallery uh, during trial. They would escort the the witnesses in. We made sure that there was a separation between witness and jurors. The bailiff who was separating between witness and jurors would stand up when the witness would come in and escort them to where they needed to sit, make sure they had everything they needed. We were putting Matt. Now, this was a hard lesson. We put the clear mask on the witnesses. That's bad because yeah. you can't hear them. When, that, yeah. when you have a like mounted microphone and you're trying to avoid the handheld microphone as much as you can, sure. when you have a mounted microphone, that mask for, to be effective has to be below their chin, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And you can see their facial expressions, but you can't hear them. And so we eventually had to take the mic and have them hold it like almost under the, the plexiglass or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And then when that witness would finish testifying, 
we would have to hand it to the sanitizers and they would do their sanitization thing and then be, you know, that's probably not awesome for electronic equipment. I, I will tell you that there actually is, and I, I, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, but there's actually a, a device that you can put over a microphone that's that's disposable for exactly that purpose so that you can pop it over there when a one witness is, is talking, pull it off and put another one on when the next witness comes on uh, to keep them from, you know, spraying into the microphone uh, for want of a better term and then having the next witness, you know, breathe that you, and, and that goes over the end of the microphone. So people may want to search those out there. We purchased a few of those for our courthouse for, for upcoming um, eventuality of having trials. It kind of looks like a windscreen, like the little dark, like little foam looking thing, but it's not actually, it's actually a different material, yeah. but it's what it kind of looks like. Right. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so what did you do with your jurors during trial? How did you deal with them? During trial, if we, you know, when they came in the morning or they needed to convene after lunch, they would go to the jury assembly room, plenty of room for 15 people to socially distance, just couldn't probably do 50 or 60. Mm-hmm. And then brought them up to the courtroom in individual two people in the elevator at a time. Luckily, some of our jurors wanted to use the stairs rather than wait for to go two at a time. And then when they got upstairs, we put them in two separate jury jury deliberation rooms. Remember, my sanitizers are going back and forth. So when they cleared the jury assembly, uh, the jury um, deliberation rooms with about eight in each, which they could socially distance in that room, then the sanitizers would go in there and sanitize. And then they would come in here. When they left the jury box, they'd go sanitize the gallery of the courtroom. And when we all went to lunch, they'd sanitize the whole room. It was really very cool. But the jurors also got the sense we cared. I mean, that that sounds pretty lame because we couldn't protect from everything, honestly. But the jurors felt like we cared that we had, you know, we went so far as to hire somebody to do the cleaning. It's kind of cool. Yeah. Let me say, though, let me point out to to all of our listeners, you come from the jurisdiction that hosts the Masters. And if anyone's ever been to the Masters, if you accidentally drop a wrapper from your amazing pimento cheese sandwich, someone dives on it. Like people in ninja costumes come out of the bushes, dive on that piece of paper, and it disappears immediately, never to be seen again. So you guys are used to cleaning up like this. Look, this company that we use was great. I do not know what their name is. I know some of the players in it, a guy named Mike Fleming is a friend of mine that, that sort of has founded this, but you know, need, I guess is always the mother of invention. But anyway, when we take time to our, in our trial to deliberate now, I can't leave them in two rooms. I've got three alternates. So we took an empty courtroom and gave that to the jury to deliberate in. And it had been sanitized and all that. So now we do have to have one additional bailiff. We have to have additional bailiff on the public side of the door just to make sure nobody comes in. And we have our traditional bailiff on the private side of the door. But they had an entire courtroom where they could spread out as much as or a little as they wanted to. We turned off all the video recording to make sure there was no audio or video of their deliberations. We verified that with security. And that was where they deliberated. We put the three alternates in one of the jury deliberation room. Clearly, they could socially distance that distance. And Mm -hmm. the jury was out a little while, but not like a day or anything. The jury was out a few hours before they came back with their verdict. Wow. 
Yeah, that's um that's our plan as well. Is that the uh, the way our courtroom is set up? There are on every floor there are two courtrooms side by side, and so while one of them is being used for a courtroom, the other one will be being used for a jury room, and and you know we're going to try to try to make it work that way. And yeah, we could have done that, but we decided to use the two deliberation rooms so that the other judge could still use the courtroom. Yeah, that's that's a While great the, idea. Until it was time to deliberate. And we, you know, we kind of knew where we were each day. Hey, can we get another day out of this room? No, it looks like we're going to deliberate or whatever. We, I think we got – the jury came back with we, – we picked that jury on Monday, so we spent all day on Vodar. We had a verdict, and we're done, sentenced everything on Thursday. Wow. Well, Wade, that's an amazing experience and one that – all of us look forward to having in in the near future, I hope, uh, so that we can get back to back to normal. But uh, I, I thank you for um, for letting me interview you about that today, because I think, you know, as much anticipation as we've had over the past 10 or 11 months about how jury trials might look, I think you and I started talking about that on this podcast last March or April. Uh, so it's been a while um, to have it actually happen and to hear how it went. And, uh, you know, it sounds like it went Fairly well, considering uh, you know what what you had and and that you didn't have any experience doing that. That's that's fantastic. One more time for anybody who wants to see the letter that I sent the lawyers that really sort of outlines how we did some unique things. That's on the outline and the order from Judge Brown declaring the James Brown Arena as the as the alternate courthouse. That was all. That's also on our outline, and all everybody can find those at GoodJudgePod.com. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast today. I'm Tane Kell. And I'm Wade Padgett, and I do not have one of those funny little wash your hands things. Do you have another one, Tane? So, wash your hands. Thanks for listening to the Good Judgment Podcast. This podcast was originally the brainchild of Mr. Doug Ashworth, who is the executive director of ICJE. Special thanks to the University of Georgia College of Law, and specifically to Mr. Jim Henneberger. Thanks to Mr. Stephen Turner and his company, Turner Up Media, for editing out as much of our stupidity as he can. But he can't get it all. We are eternally grateful to the Council of Superior Court Judges who allow us to lead NJO, that's New Judge Orientation, for new Superior Court Judges and for their support of this project. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions of CSCJ, ICJE, the UGA College of Law, or anyone else for that matter. These are barely the opinions of Wade Padgett and Tang Kell, so we definitely aren't speaking for anyone else. You can contact us on our website, goodjudgepod.com. Or send us an email at goodjudgepod at gmail.com. So, Tane, I guess we better bang the gavel on this episode. Anything else you feel like we need to say? Only stay classy, San Diego. Thanks for listening to the Good Judge Men Podcast.